Welcome to the QAV Investing Podcast. This week on the show, we'll be talking about missing the Suncorp cell, the new Bredelator version that's just come out, keeping an eye on cell lines for our stocks of the week, Tony's three fingers of the economy, the MQG share purchase plan, the WAF share purchase plan, the top three dummy portfolio stocks for last week, NAB's been removed from the buy list, the SA inquiry into Kangaroo Island's port, CCP and STO fessing up to JobKeeper, uh, the BPT CEO just resigned suddenly and what that means if you're holding that stock. Why FMG rose when the iron ore price continues to drop. The gap price drop after forecasting a loss for the half and a bit of a breakdown on the stocks of the week, ATP and particularly SUL, Supergroup. Before we get into the show this week, I just want to apologize for the quality of Tony's audio uh, we had to record over Zoom this week, and for some reason, Tony sounds like he's speaking from inside of the Matrix. Maybe he is inside of the Matrix, I don't really know, but uh, yeah, it's a little bit sort of uh, digitally, pixely kind of throughout, so we tried to fix it uh, during the recording, we couldn't get it working properly, so I just wanted to warn warn you about that hopefully i'll figure out a better solution next week you know people come to me for technical advice right that's very sad once (laughs) (laughs) welcome back to qav this is episode 446 we're recording this on monday the 15th of november 2021 how are you tk yeah good really good thank you how are you? Good. Come to start. Molto bene, molto bene. Grazie, grazie. Molto bene. Actually, I promised our transcriber that we wouldn't speak in Italian anymore. It's hard enough. She said German and French would be fine. Italian is too much work. Okay. Um, let's, uh, let's get into what's going on. Uh, I wanted to start with saying that we sold Sun. I sold mm. Sun last week uh probably a couple of weeks later than i should have sold sun mm. suncorp uh, breached its three-point trend line sell line in late october and totally missed it yeah no i got i sold it uh yeah just said let's in stock doctor for the sell price and that, that helps a uh, lot yeah, yeah 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 it would if if i didn't get four thousand emails a day and uh, most of them uh <laughs> junk and i have to yes no i do set those but i missed that one and you didn't tell me so it just uh i did hang on did you i always send you an email yeah i always send you an email when i trade uh you didn't tell me that i should trade it as well i don't didn't know you had it (laughs) yeah it's not your fault um but yeah no i just i wanted esp faulty esp again (laughs) oh do i have to sell esp as well no. Um, I just wanted to put that out so people remember to set alerts. Yes. Got to yes. set alerts. And not just set alerts, but I just wanted to remind people because I needed to remind myself that I have to go in and check the three-point sell line sell price in the alerts at least probably once once a month, like the first of the month or something like that. Yeah, once a month is good. Probably not, not much more than that. Every month it could tick over to a new number. So once a month is good. Hmm. I think by the time I got it, it was down like 16%. Ooh, anyway, okay. um, also just want to remind people, uh, particularly people listening to the free episodes that are paying attention to our stock of the week picks each week. 
most mm. of which are doing quite well at the moment. There's a couple that went backwards south, but mm. most of them are doing quite well. Um, but some will always go backwards. And, of mm. course, buying them is only the first step in a successful strategy. You also need to know when to sell them. And we're not going to be advising you when to sell them. So, um, you know, we're not going to be sending, we're not going to be tracking them and sending out alerts. I don't think it's up to you as an investor to figure that out or to pay attention to your three point trend lines and uh, your rule one lines and that kind of stuff. Mm. So, but if you are looking at the, the, the stocks and uh, buying them, make sure you, you're paying attention to, uh, you know, what happens to them afterwards. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about this. We're putting out our stock of the weeks now um, in our emails, but it, I don't really want to create another dummy portfolio, so we're not going to circle back and tell people when to sell them if they mm. need to. But, you know, the basic rule of thumb is uh, with QAV is that it's a 60-40 game. You know, probably 40% of the stocks that we talk about are going to go down in some stage, and you've got to be ready mm-hmm. to sell them as they breach um, either rule one or your three point trend line sell. So yeah, I didn't really want to set up a second dummy portfolio to track our recommendations. So they're just really recommendations to look at and do your own research as a starting point, not um, any sort of portfolio construction recommendation. Exactly. I just wanted to add and, and further to that in this, you know, I don't know whether it's because the market is uh, climbing higher or what, but the last few months have been particularly choppy. And, uh, you know, you look at some of the stocks like you did, then just Suncorp, it's dropped 15% in maybe a month or, you know, four weeks, maybe, maybe less. It doesn't take much to see stocks drop quickly at the moment, hmm. possibly because they're all priced to perfection. Um, hmm. One that I, you know, came across recently was Gap, Gale Pacific, which uh, if you look at its share price, gra- share price graph, it fell off a cliff last week uh, when they, they came out and gave a, a, a guidance, I think probably at their AGM, but guidance on full-year profit was uh, going to be break-even at best. And, and so the, the share price reacted quickly and swiftly to that news and, and dropped. So you've got to be either setting alerts or be checking regularly. And it's much easier to set alerts than to check your portfolio regularly, for sure. Mm. But looking at the list of recommendations that we've made since we started again, back in early September, 7th of September. I think about 60 to 70% of them are above water. Mm-hmm. That um, some, right. Yeah, which is kind of mm-hmm. our goal, 60 to 70%. But some of them are yeah. doing quite well. KRM, King Rose Mining, is up 60% since it was our stock of the week on the 20th of September. So it's, that's not even two months. Right. It's up 60%. Um, Michael Hill Jewelers up 34% since we recommended it on the 28th of September. Um, Clearview Wealth CVW is up 17% since we recommended it on the 4th of October. The rest uh, are up sort of single digits. A couple have gone backwards. ZGL, AIS, Sun, uh, Meyer, New Hope, Coal, EHL and CLX. But again, you know, as I said, you know, our goal is always to get about 60% that go well and we're sort of spot on with that. Yeah, and to pull our weeds quickly on the other ones. Yeah. Uh, speaking of things to be updated for the club members, the Bredelator was updated last week to version 21.11.10. Thank you to Mr. Bredelator himself for all of the work that he continues to put into that for everybody. So uh, if you didn't see that, if you missed that on Facebook, uh, make sure you follow the links on the QAV club res- member resources page on our website. 
and uh, go to the link to the latest version of the bread later. And as always, please make a copy of it before you try to use it. Don't send Brett an email asking for permission to use the master version. That's not going to work. Make your own copy. Just go file copy when you're in Google Sheets and uh, go from there. What do you want to talk about this week before we get into the questions, Tony? Yeah, so a few things. Um, I spoke oh, a couple of years ago now about my three three finger check on the economy, which is for me the economy moves around petrol prices, mortgage prices, and the dollar. And uh, petrol prices, I, I just noticed last week when I've been locked down for so long, I hadn't filled up, but I went for a trip to Wagga and uh, filled up on the way back, and it was like a dollar sixty five or something a liter for for fuel. Uh, so petrol prices are on the rise as we know because we talked about santos and other oil companies and gas companies before on the show recently um, oil prices edging it's back up over 80 dollars a barrel uh, if the trend continues it could get back over, over to 100 dollars a barrel which is where it's been to before uh, but who knows no predicting but but if it does uh, that is going to be sort of one leg of the tripod pulled out of people's pockets and uh, usually, you know, two legs and the economy starts to collapse. So, and we're, we're starting to see mortgage rates rise, as someone pointed out recently on the show, that uh, banks are now out of step with the RBA and they've started to raise mortgage rates because the bond yields are rising um, higher than the cash rate, uh, just generally a sign that you know, interest rates are going to increase. And again, don't want to predict by how much and when and, and how long it will take and and for how you know for how high it has to go before people really start to hurt. But people have become quite used to low interest rates. And if they do rise, that'll be the second leg of the milk stool kicked out from underneath the milkers. And when two legs go, the, the economy usually turns down. Um, the Australian dollar has been slowly creeping higher. Um, it probably should be higher on the basis of um, the commodity exports we've been having, but uh, the US dollar has been reasonably, well, it's been sinking, but it's been reasonably flat of late. So, but if the US, if, if the US dollar drops or if the Australian dollar rises, then yeah, that's, that's three sort of crosses against the economy. So I'm just, just calling that out now, only because I saw petrol prices rise and that's the first leg that, that really starts to eat into people's pay packets. And, um, you know, sometimes I think as investors and economists, and well, we're not economists, but the RBA as economists, they forget the fact that, you know, the vast majority of, uh, of Australians out there are on a salary. You know, and I guess by definition, it's around the average. And once you sort of take out more for petrol and more for mortgage, um, and start, you know, then if you start to pay more because the dollar's rising for imports, um, you know, we're stuffed. I thought the three finger uh, economics was when the economy crashes, you're pouring three fingers of scotch. Yeah. Glass. You go from a finger to two fingers to three fingers. And you just start drinking from the bottle. Yeah. Well, lucky I stocked up over COVID and I couldn't get out to bars. So that's good. It's like I remember having breakfast with the CEO of Rivers, the clothing brand, um, mm -hmm. I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago. Part of a, you know, uh, I don't know industry breakfasty thing and he said the economy was going through a tough period at the time or something and he said uh, somebody asked him the question you know what do you what do you do differently when there's an economic downturn and he said instead of drinking one bottle of wine at night I drink four or something like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah and look I just I mean calling that out as, as a bit of an aside really it won't change the way we approach investing it's things aren't looking as rosy as they have been in the past I think 
And if there's a downturn, you know, the market will become more volatile and we'll sell mm-hmm. more than we would normally do over a period of time and maybe be sitting on some cash while we're mm-hmm. looking for things to buy back in. But we just, you know, that's just playing by the rules as we normally do. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a good point. It's business as usual, as I said last year on Phil Muscatello's show. Mm-hmm. Well, when the COVID, well, the year before when the COVID cough first happened, it's mm-hmm. what the market does. You just got to be mm-hmm. prepared for it. It's got to be part of your framework to, to, to handle it. Yeah. Not be surprised by it. Markets go in cycles. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about MQG and the SPP. Yeah. So last week I was talking about the fact that Macquarie Group was having a share purchase plan, which is open at the moment. If you're a shareholder, you have a chance to buy up to $30,000 worth. And I made the comment that you might put in $30,000 and that will be kept by Macquarie Bank while the process plays out and then return to you after the fact, which could tie your money up for uh, anywhere up to a couple of months, really, and to factor that into your equations. But um, as Stephen Main pointed out recently in an article he wrote, Macquarie has a history of not scaling back their, sh- their share purchase plan. So you may well get all $30,000. So I was kind of making more of a general comment. And I also noticed that West African Resources, another company that I, um, I hold in my portfolio, has an, another share purchase plan going at the moment as well. So they may well scale back. So just the same comment, um, just something to be aware of with SVPs. um, You may get scaled back and you'll get a a refund check or a refund deposit into your account for that. But just be aware if if you're banking on that money, it may not come back to you quickly. Okay, good to know. Uh, all right, top three dummy portfolio stocks for the week, Tony. Yeah, so the, the three in the VEX are uh, Perseus, PRU, which is up 7.74%, KSC, which is KNS Transport, up 6.59%, and CLX, up 5.46%. So they're our top performers for the week. Wow, not bad. How's that portfolio yeah. uh, doing for the financial year this week? Uh, QAV portfolio for the financial year as of today, we're up 7.14%. The uh, SBDR 200 is up 5.16%. So we're, we're still about 40% above the 200 right. for the financial year. Uh, there you go. We did sell something last week too. I think I sold COG out of our dummy portfolio last week and replaced it with MML, I think. That's right, which has been in and out for a while, hasn't it? It has. In and out like a priest and a nun or something. It's uh, up 4% since we added it last week, so that was a good decision. (laughs) (laughs) NAB, you're taking NAB off your buy list? Yeah, so NAB, uh, like... Three of the banks in Macquarie, three of the big four in Macquarie, uh, reported now for an end of September uh, year end. And uh, NAB was off the buy list because its operating cash flow decreased dramatically. And I know that banks have sort of funny operating cash flows compared to industrials, but uh, it was quite a big drop for NAB. I haven't been able to understand exactly why because you don't get a whole heap of um, detailed information in the in the notes, but it talks about uh, borrowings and loans being um, increased compared to last half. Again, I don't haven't done enough research to know what that is. I'm, I suspect it's borrowing and loans for NAB as a business rather than NAB, you know, uh, borrowing money in the market and lending it out to mortgagees, but I'm not sure. But yeah, certainly operating cash flow was dropped. The funny thing is the analysts all applauded the result and uh, the NAB share price has risen since the results were um, announced. So there you go. There you go. What's going on with Kangaroo Island Port? Yeah, so we we spoke about what was called Kangaroo uh, 
island plantation timber now called Killand, K-I-L-A-N-D. It's pivoted from being a, a sawmiller to a, a, a general farming type agricultural company. And one of the things that they did in their latest results, uh, well, they announced that their AGM, sorry, was that they had to write down the port that they were using to export the logs from, which I think from memory may have burnt in the fires and they, they were still attributing a value to it and had plans to rebuild it. But then the South Australian Attorney General knocked them back and they weren't able to rebuild. And, and that particular decision has become um, a focus for whatever South Australia calls its ICAC, its government watchdog, uh, because the Attorney General in South Australia just happens to own a block of land across from the plant, the Kangaroo Island Plantation, Timbers Plantation on Kangaroo Island and has voiced opinions in the past that it was uh, very noisy when the sawmillers saw cut the trees down and, and the trucks rolled out to the jetty. So um, apparently, and, and I, I'll, I'll be careful how I say this, but apparently it's not a good look that she turned down the rebuilding of the jetty. And some people are saying that that might be to suit her rather than what's best for the island. But uh, contentious issue. But in the news, and you don't often talk about a small cap stock like Killand on a show like this and then and find that their issues are in the news next week. So, mm. yeah, interesting times. Well, you know that everyone listens to this show now, Tony. We're <laughs> shaping the national conversation. Uh, okay. Talk to me about... Two more in the news. Two, mm -hmm. two more in the news stocks for us, Santos and Credit Corp, which mm -hmm. are, I both own and they've been a staple of the portfolio for a long time. Uh, they both fessed up recently to taking too much JobKeeper and they both returned a, a, a whole mess of JobKeeper back to the government, So, which is a good thing, but it really only happened because of the... Uh, I'm not sure what the law change was, but I know that uh, the One Nation Party was behind it and the government was dealing with them to uh, have better transparency of JobKeeper recipients and whether they actually needed the, the money or not. And wonderfully enough, ever since that uh, was mooted and talked about, and I think maybe even the past parliament now, people have started um, returning money to the government. So, uh, yeah, I guess kudos for CCP and Santos for sending it back and uh, maybe they just overlooked it for a while while they were waiting to work out their numbers or something, but uh, they may have been a bit slow at doing it. And you think One Nation's driving it? Yeah, look, I should have been better prepared before I started talking about it, but the, the government was dealing with One Nation on the whole raft of issues, and one of the things that One Nation asked for in the negotiation was a register of JobKeeper recipients to be set up, which the government didn't do, but they did say that there would be greater transparency into, uh, into who received what. And uh, that's caused, um, funnily enough, a lot of uh, income back to the tax office in the last few months. Wow. I mean, the whole fact that this isn't transparent in the first place boggles the mind. It does, doesn't it? Especially with the with the dollars involved. I know we've, we've spoken about the secondary effects of JobKeeper, and so there is a valid argument for some people that, that got JobKeeper and didn't pass it on to staff who were stood down for COVID, um, and they used it to repay down debt, for example, and, and they, they could argue the company was in a much better position, therefore, going forward, and they stabilised the company, and it would maybe would not have gone forward without the JobKeeper money. But uh, it's still no excuse for, for a non-transparent spending of $60 billion by the government, I think. Yeah, 
Yeah. I mm. mean, you would think that the public has a right to know who got the money. If the companies mm. want to argue that they deserve the money and they used it well, that's up to them to argue. But uh, people yeah. should still know where their money went. And of course, as, as people like Stephen Main point out, it wasn't just to listed companies. There's a lot of private companies got it. A lot of schools got it. A lot of high-end schools got it. A lot of golf courses got it. You know, a lot of organizations you wouldn't even think of um, as needing it got it. And, you know, possibly quite rightly, but we'll never know. Mm. Well, I, I never thought these words would come out of my mouth, but uh, well done, One Nation Party. <laughs> <laughs> next time, exactly. I'm, next time I drive up to Bundaberg and I'm driving past all of the Pauline Hanson billboards <laughs> in country <laughs> Queensland, I will uh, refrain from up. <laughs> refrain from throwing <laughs> things at it. And uh, yeah, <laughs> this one time, this one time, I will not <laughs> throw things at. Uh, Pauline Hanson's mm. billboards. Um, yeah. What's happening with Beach Petroleum CEO? Yeah, so we, no one really knows, but he resigned quickly recently and is moving on. Last time I had a look on the weekend, Beach was very close to its cell line. So, I mean, people may want to hold on and see what happens if it crosses its cell line or not. But certainly the CEO resigning unexpectedly is not a good look um, with Beach. So I don't own it. I don't think it's in our portfolio, but I would be considering potentially the, to sell it based on that. So uh, this is Mr. Matt Kays, the CEO, and yeah. um, it was effective immediately. Chief Financial Officer Mornay Engelbrecht will be assuming the role of acting CEO while a search is undertaken for a replacement. So not a not a smooth transition no. by the sounds of it. No, and generally... Generally, who knows what the reason is. They haven't given a reason. So they had, I don't think they've even cited family reasons as the reason, which they often do for an unexpected resignation or health reasons. Reading between the lines, and I'll be careful with what I say here, the largest shareholder in Beach Petroleum is the Stokes family. And uh, there has been, in some instances, cases where CEOs have fallen out of favour with them and uh, they have a disagreement about the direction of a company. You know, the rock, rock meets the hard place and usually it's the hard place that leaves um, and the rock stays on in terms of being the major shareholder. But anyway, I don't know what the, what the reason is. We don't know what the reason is. Certainly raises questions about whether we should be holding on to beach energy going forward. Mm, but at this point, you're just going to keep, an, uh, keep a, an eye on it? Yeah, well, it's so close to the sell line, it almost doesn't need to sell right now. We might as well just wait and see if it crosses. I haven't checked it today. It may even cross today. You hold it in your portfolio? I don't know. All right. Well, for people who do hold it, have a have a have a think about it. Yeah, it's been on the buy list for a while. I'm just going to have a look at the look at the graph for it now. Freehand drawing of the sell lines is a dollar nine, a dollar ten, and the price today is a dollar twenty four. So it's it's getting down towards a sell, and it's been a bit of a falling knife for a while too, to be honest. Which is uh, because of write downs on reserves in the past, because it's a, it's a, again it's a gas and oil company, so it should be on a tearaway, a bit like Santos, but it's not. Hmm. Well, that might have something to do with the CEO leaving. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, FMG went up. Yeah, so interestingly enough, there was comments made at the AGM last week. You know, talked about the fact they were still exporting, it was still profitable, but also talked up a lot about their uh, Fortescue Future Industries, I guess, um, division, which they've just set up, which will be funded by 10% of the profits going forward. And they've been making some inroads into hydrogen, but also into lithium. 
and uh, they were talking up those at the AGM, which seemed to be well received by the market and the share price went up. Um, but it made me look at iron ore, which is still going down. So it's not iron ore, which is driving the Fortescue metals price up. And as I also looked at all the other iron ore stocks, um, BHP and Rio didn't seem to have the same sort of bounce at the same time. I did notice some of the smaller ones like Champion Iron did do a slight rebound, but I, I think this is a bit of news. Um, I'm still cautious about buying back into iron ore stocks at the moment with the iron ore price still dropping, mm. regardless of what happens with Fortescue and its lithium play, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not buying back in just yet. Right. Okay. Wait and see then. Wait and see, yeah. All righty then. Shall we get into questions? Oh, we haven't yeah, done do you want to do stock, stock of, of the week. Stock of the week. Yeah, stock yeah. of the week. Sorry. It's all right. What do you have for us this week, Tony? Yeah, small cap is, is Atlas Pearls, ATP which has been doing well lately. It's um, I'm not going to talk about the numbers on that one, but people can have a look. Very small ADT of about $7,000. Uh, so it will only suit um, people with a small portfolio. Uh, and it's basically a pearl, a pearl fisherman or pearl fishing business based out of uh, Indonesia, I think, or Thailand, somewhere in the southeast of Asia. Came onto the buy list recently and has been doing okay since then. So have a look at that if you can, if you're after a small small cap to invest in. But the second stock, the uh, large cap is uh, Supergroup, S-U-L. And, uh, and Supergroup might sound like a bit um, self-aggrandizing as a name, but uh, it actually has its uh, origins back in a company called Super Cheap Auto, which particularly Queensland listeners will um, will know about because it was a, uh, a Queensland company originally. Interesting interesting history. It started off in the early 70s as a mail-order parts business from the kitchen of a, a home in the Gold Coast, a guy called uh, Reg Rowe, from memory, set it up in, the, in 72 in Queensland. And uh, then eventually that got big enough as a mail-order business that he set up some stores. They were called Super Cheap Auto. And they kind of became like the office works or maybe the bunnings of car parts. Parts, particularly in Queensland, and, and we're very, very successful um, selling bits and pieces for cars and, and parts for cars at, at good prices. Um, they expanded well and then eventually started to diversify away from um, the automotive industry and, and they bought out Rebel Sports a couple of years ago and then got into camping with ECF camping and MacPack. So because of those uh, other acquisitions, they changed their name from Super Cheap Auto to Super Group. Or super retail, super group. So uh, interesting uh, company. Um, the, the numbers, the QAV numbers, uh, has a QAV score of 0.17. So it's not at the top of our list, but a lot of these big companies, large cap companies are towards the bottom of our list. So 0.17 is, is a reasonable score for it. It does have an average daily transaction of $9.5 million. So it can suit you know, all, I'd probably say all of our listeners, um, this one. And I should also say it suits me because I, I own them. I, I bought them a couple of weeks ago. They came onto our buy list again um, recently. They became a star stock uh, in the last sort of five or six weeks as well. So ever since their last results came out, they've been doing well. Uh, I'm going to base my uh, numbers on the share price yesterday at $13.19, which is um, the 14th of November. Uh, at that price, they were just under the consensus broker price target and also stock doctors IV. So they get QAV checklist gives them scores for that. And the other thing that's interesting about this company has a high yield. So 6.7% yield. So we score it well for that. Also, interestingly enough, it has a return on equity of 27%. 
which is not something I normally pay attention to, um, but it does kind of give us a context for retail type companies. So the net tangible assets for this company is only $1.59. If you remember, the share price is 13 bucks and change. So one of the things that happens with these kinds of companies is they generally don't own their stores or the land that the stores are on. And so therefore their assets are basically the fit outs in the stores and whatever stock is passing through at the time, which because of that means that the equity is lower than if they did own or their own land and therefore the return on equity is higher. Uh, so that's just a way that management in the retail space has played with numbers for a while because people chase high ROE companies, they um, they get out of property and, and that inflates the ROE. Not necessarily a bad thing. There's a, certainly an argument to, to be made to say that retailers are in the business of selling things, not investing in land. But the contrary argument is that retailers know a lot about commercial property because they have to because they're negotiating leases and purchases all the time in the area. So it, it's a sort of swings and roundabout story, that one. But definitely um, a good ROE. Doesn't score for us on the um, on the price to book ratio, though, because of that. Good uh, prop cap, price to operating cash flow of five times, which is, um, you know, if, if you think about the sort of stability of this business that's um, and the cash flowing through it, that's a really good, you know, value purchase for us. It's um, slightly above our IV1, slightly less than our IV2, which is $15.38, but uh, not half IV2. So it only gets the uh, the one point for that. The interestingly enough, the forecast EPS is down. So when I do the yield over the PE, I get a negative number. But I think that the the reason why the forecast EPS is down is because of COVID. So the the forecast EPS will refer to the end of the financial year, which is the middle of next year, um, or maybe one month later. I'm not sure when super group reports, but often retailers are, are January and uh, July. But anyway, that's the, that's the time period. And, if, and the, that means that a lot of the first half for New South Wales and Victoria anyway, the stores were closed. And so uh, the four years EPS will probably probably be down. But I think most people are looking through that and, and trying to you know get a feel for the company on a, a business as usual basis. And so they're forgiving it for that drop in EPS. And certainly the share price has been rising since COVID. Um, so it's doing well for that. The other good thing that scores well for us is um, the original founder, is still holding a large part of the company. So directors hold not 29% of this company, even though it's um, you know got a $3 billion market cap. The Mr. Mr. Rowe is still sitting on to the $750 million to a billion dollars worth of shares in the company. And he's he's still on the board. He was the original managing director and then and then became chairman and now is a, a director on the board. So that's that's a good sign, I think. In terms of the manually entered data, it is trading on its lowest PE for the last three years, uh, but its uh, equity hasn't always been consistently increasing. So I zero for that. And uh, all up against a quality score of 86%. And as I said before, a QAV of 0.17. All right. Thank you for that. Super cheap auto. I'll go in on the weekend and buy some more new car mats just to check the place out again. Give it the sniff test. All right. Let's Mm. get into questions. First one this week comes from Reg. Well, that's the end of the free episode for this week. Uh, If you're brand new, uh, just wanted to point out that we have a free episode and a premium, a club episode, club edition every week. Uh, For our club subscribers, uh, this week in our club subscribers, we sort of did some Q&A answering questions about whether or not it's best to buy from the top of the buy list or to buy new entries to the buy list. Um, The psychology of why it's okay to buy shares that are at all-time highs when that might seem counterintuitive. 
and why it's important to avoid getting lost in the weeds looking at the uh, micro aspects of a particular business and what they're doing and just listen to the numbers instead. If you want to check out the Club Edition, you can. You can do it for free. Just go up to our website, qavpodcast.com.au, sign up for a free trial to the Club Edition. If you're a club member, you not only get the longer episodes each week, you get the ability to ask Tony questions, which he'll answer on the show. Um, you get invites to our dinners around the country, to our Zoom calls. You get access to the checklist, to the Bible, to the Bredelator to all the different tools and uh, training materials that we have. And it's really designed for people that want to be serious about uh, their investing education. But you can keep listening to the free episodes forever as well. Hope you have a great week. Good luck with your investing. We'll be back next time. QAV Podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129217. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.